God is not a God of disorder or confusion, but is the God of peace. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning stars rise in your hearts. You are tuning into the Tribe of Christians podcast with host Brandon Dawson, the chief sinner, bringing you a peace of mind, clarity, insight, and perspective to the world you live in by the word of God, featuring the latest updates on end time prophecy news. Don't, Don't forget, forget to subscribe to the, to the Tribe of, of Christians, Christians broadcast, broadcast either on Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Facebook, or YouTube at tribeofchristians.com. Without further ado, here is your host and teacher, The Chief Sinner. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Tribe of Christians podcast. I'm your host, the Chief Sinner. In this third and final message of this special three-part series, I will be preaching about one of the most significant revelations that I have ever received regarding Jesus, which took place during Jesus' crucifixion that is only revealed through a special section right from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Christians all around the world gathered together this weekend to celebrate the life, the death, and the very resurrection of Jesus. It's why we exist. It's why we have purpose. It's the very heart of Jesus that reveals to us what matters most, what's most significant, and what life is really about. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, in my first message of this series called The Glory of Jesus in the Cloud, I taught from the passage on the transfiguration of Jesus. I revealed to you the significance of that transfiguration which took place, why Moses and Elijah were present, and why Jesus picked only three of his disciples to witness it, and how it relates to both the resurrection and rapture events. I also revealed to you how that personal encounter applies to our very own personal lives. In the second message of this series, called Jesus and the Cult, I taught from the Gospel of Matthew concerning Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and revealed to you a very special and significant hidden meaning behind the cult and the donkey. I revealed why Jesus chose only two of his disciples and why the Gospel of Matthew is the only gospel that reveals these specific details about the donkey and the cult that the other gospels don't and how those revelations relate to us. Now, in this third and final message of this series, I'm going to reveal to you one of the most incredible revelations that I have ever received regarding Jesus that I've never heard anybody ever preach on concerning the events which took place at Jesus' crucifixion, which is directly connected to his sermon on the mount. Now, many people don't know this, but this passage, this specific section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, actually gives us an incredible revelation in the crucifixion of Jesus. I'm going to take a different and deeper look at something that took place at the foot of his cross that is often overlooked and has never really been taught on. And I believe 
This section really reveals something that is so significant and incredible about Jesus that will take us deeper. And I believe this aspect of Jesus will teach us not just something extraordinary about Jesus, but also will reveal to us something extraordinary about ourselves. When it comes to tribulation, when it comes to great opposition in the midst of rejection, in the midst of prejudice and hate, have you experienced persecution of your faith or beliefs? Have you faced great opposition because of your past or your future? Regardless if it's because of a good or a bad choice you've ever made, regardless if it's because you have a lot of money or no money, whatever the situation it is that you're facing, there's an incredible revelation about Jesus that I'm going to show you that I believe will show you the answer in how to face these things. And it's going to give you great encouragement, bring you a deeper meaning to your life. So if you have your Bibles with you or your phone, computer, or app, if you would please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5, verses 38 through 48, concerning Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48, concerning Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The Word of God says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them and the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, and that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's the things in which we do and say that reveal the truth about ourselves. And it's oftentimes in the midst of great opposition, we discover what really matters to us, what's most significant to us. When a fire is set ablaze and when the storm rises, when the waves crash over our heads, it's the immediate response that we make that reveals the things that we hold dear. And sometimes it's also the exact opposite. It's also what we do with abundance or prosperity when things are going right. But it's also not just the things that we say and do that reveal who we are, but also the things that we don't do and the things that we don't say that matter too. The Bible tells us in Mark 14, 53-65 that Jesus stood silent before his accusers. Jesus has every right to defend himself, but chose not to say anything. So in many cases, our heart's intent is to listen in a debate, to quickly defend ourselves rather than listen with the intent of understanding and reconciliation for the purpose of love and forgiveness. Now, how many marriages would have been saved if we carried the heart of reconciliation and forgiveness? How many families would have been restored with the intent of listening for reconciliation, for love and forgiveness? And how many court battles would be spared 
if it were our personal resolve for peace rather than retribution. The heart of Jesus wasn't retribution. The heart of Jesus wasn't to defend himself. The heart of Jesus wasn't to prove a point or to win a battle or a debate. The heart of Jesus was reconciliation, deliverance, and love. So the title of my message is called The Choice. Many of us are very familiar with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's a very famous and well-known passage of Scripture. These specific words in which Jesus taught have shaped evangelism throughout all of history in the way in which we spread the gospel message throughout the entire world. When we preach about the Ten Commandments in order to reveal the truth about ourselves and our choices, we oftentimes reveal the truths which come right from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Because outwardly, it can appear that we've made all the right choices. Outwardly, it can appear that we are completely innocent. Many of us treat our parents respectfully. Many of us have never stolen. Many of us have never committed adultery or idolatry. Many of us have never committed murder. Many of us don't bear false witness. We don't lie or cheat. We go to church every week. We give to the poor. We serve the homeless. And we give to charity. So, outwardly, It can appear that we've done everything right. It can appear that we are on the right course. But also, there are many of those out there, outwardly, it can appear that they've completely gotten it wrong. Outwardly, it can appear that they are clearly deserving criminals worthy of punishment and worthy of death. There are folks out there right now who have committed murder, who have committed adultery. There are many out there who have stolen There are many out there who have told lies. And for those people outwardly, they are criminals. They are trespassers and they're condemned and judged before society, according to society's standards. But just because it appears outwardly that these things have happened doesn't necessarily mean that these people are worse off than the people who have never committed any of these crimes. It doesn't mean that they're any worse or better than the other side. So Jesus is preaching his sermon on the mount, and he begins to teach and preach on these things that nobody has ever heard of. Jesus begins to convict and teach things concerning not just the outwardly things, but rather the inwardly things, the matters of the heart. So in verse 21 and 22 concerning murder, Jesus says, You've heard it. You've heard it that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And Jesus is saying that although you may not have outwardly committed murder, but if you've hated somebody in your own heart, then according to Jesus' standards, you've committed murder just by your very thoughts, and therefore you're guilty just as the one who actually committed murder. And he takes it a step even further in verse 23 and 24. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. The Jews relied on their offerings and sacrifices to atone for their sins. 
But Jesus reveals that those sacrifices and those offerings are completely useless and aren't even accepted if there's even a matter of dispute in your heart, if there's even a hint of discord against a fellow brother or sister or neighbor. And what good is your gift to God if you've neglected your fellow neighbors or your brother or sisters? It's a matter of the heart. And in verse 27, concerning adultery, Jesus says, You've heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So when I think about this verse, I remember the story of Judah. Judah is the lineage where Jesus comes from. Judah commits an act of adultery when Tamar disguises herself as a prostitute in order to conceive an offspring for her husband, which has passed away. And in the story of Judah, he's about to give the death sentence to Tamar until it's revealed to him who she is, and he is quickly convicted of his heart and his sins, and then he offers forgiveness to Tamar. Again, it's the matter of the heart. So what Jesus is really saying here is that nobody is innocent. And what Jesus is doing here is that he's leveling the playing field. He has set the real standards of living and has brought forth the thoughts and the matters of the heart. He's given hope to both the criminal and the righteous. He's equaled the playing field. And he's brought significance and value to everybody, not just to those who have outwardly seemed like they've done it all right. There's also something else extraordinary significant in what Jesus is doing and saying here. But in order to truly grasp the full understanding and gravity of Jesus' words, to get the deeper revelation, you've got to go way back to the law of Moses and get the full context. So in verses 38 through 40, concerning eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, and when Jesus says, do not resist an evil person, Jesus is referencing a section of the law of Moses which has dictated and guided the entire way of living for the Israelites. This is all that they've ever known. This is all that they have ever lived by. And if you remember, in the first message, I preached about the glory of Jesus in the cloud. God set such a fear upon the Israelites that, in an ironic way, has stayed with them throughout their entire history. The Israelites lived by fear. They acted by fear. It was the fear of death that often motivated them. And ever since that thick and dreadful cloud of the Lord fell on the mountain in front of all of Israel, they have never forgotten it. That's what the entire Passover celebration is about. Israel was afraid of sin. They were afraid to act against God. They were afraid of death. But they learned an outwardly way of living rather than an inwardly way of living. Because God wasn't personal to each member of Israel the way that he is through Jesus. God was only personal with certain priests and prophets whom he chose in the Old Testament. So the people of Israel never truly learned the heart of God through personal experience and encounter. They had to look to the encounters of others like Samson, David, or Elijah. So verses 38 through 40 come from an Old Testament scripture from the law of Moses, which are found in Exodus 21:24, Leviticus 24:20, and Deuteronomy 19:21. Listen to what the law of Moses says in Leviticus 24, 19, 21. 
This is the law in which God gave directly to Israel through Moses. These are God's instructions. Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution, but whoever kills a human being is to be put to death. That's Leviticus 24, 19-21. It's a justification and means for justice, for a death sentence. Now read what Deuteronomy 19, 18-21 says. The judges must make a thorough investigation if the witness proves to be a liar giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite, then do to the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid. And never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. That's Deuteronomy 19.18-21. Just like I showed you in the very first message of this series, this is an example of how God uses death to instill obedience. But instead of God using just tribulations, and instead of God just using the storms and things like that, God is now also introducing your neighbor as an instrument. He says you must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid. And never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity. In other words, no mercy. Have you ever been in desperate situation where you needed pity? where you needed compassion, where you needed grace. But the law of Moses forbidden it. It encouraged fear. It installed the death sentence. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand and foot for foot. This is why Israel not only stoned those who trespassed against the law and sinned against one another, but they did it violently and publicly to instill the fear of obedience. Listen to the words in Exodus chapter 21, 22 through 25. If people are fighting and they hit a pregnant woman, she gives birth prematurely, but there's no serious injury. The offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. When somebody sinned against you that resulted in injury or death, it means the justification and the means of justice for retribution. It was the grounds of payback. And to this day, it's where our court systems derive the definition and the motivation for justice. So according to the standard, sin was rare among the Israelites, at least outwardly, because the consequences of sin was so severe. By this standard, whatever you did to somebody else would give that person the same exact right to, in return, do it to you. Literally. So Jesus tells us in Luke 6.31, Do to others as you would have them do to you. This is also where we get one of the principles of reaping and sowing, which is found in Galatians 6.7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So it seems like a contradiction in what Jesus is preaching here in his Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching against something that justified justice and retribution. However, it isn't really a contradiction. But Jesus was revealing a greater way 
than retribution. Jesus was revealing a choice. According to the Bible in Romans 6.23, the wages for sin is death. Also in Genesis, death was introduced by God as a result of sin. The consequence of sin, rather against God or against your neighbor, is justifiable by justice and retribution and death. And it's true. God's word has always been true. It's still true to this day. And although the United States, we have rights in our Constitution that protect us from harsh penalties and such, but in reality, according to God's standards, according to God's word, according to God's law, it's technically 100% legal for God to put to death anybody who has committed sin. So Jesus revealing that sin isn't just an outwardly thing, but it's also an inwardly thing. It's not just what we do or say, but it's also what we think. And there's a choice to be made. Not just the choice to pursue holiness, not just the choice to pursue righteousness, but there's also a choice in how we respond, how to administer true justice. Although retribution is the law, but there is still another option. There is still another way. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus says, don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you, give them the other cheek as well. If someone wants to sue you, give them your coat and your shirt. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go too. Give to the one who asks, to the one who wants. And then in verse 43, Jesus is setting the standard again, going above and beyond to define love, to define the boundaries. And he states that it's more than just caring for your own. It's more than just caring about your neighbors. And it's more than just caring about those who treat you right. Jesus tells us, don't resist the evil person. Don't turn away for anyone who is suing you. Hand them over, not just your shirt, but your coat as well. Go the extra mile. That's where that phrase comes from. Go the extra mile. Now, this is a reference to Leviticus 19.18, which says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is in reference to the law of Moses. The law of Moses sets the standards how to treat your own people. But Jesus' standard revealed that it's not just about those who are your own kin. It's not just about those who love you. It's not just about those who care about you. And those who have a good relationship with. It's also about all people. That means even your enemies. Even the foreigner. Even those who treat you harshly. Even those who aren't your family. Now if you would, turn with me to Matthew 27. Concerning the crucifixion of Jesus. Matthew chapter 27. Starting in verses 33 through 37. Which reads, They came to a place called Galgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gal, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they, had, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. As Jesus is there, crucified and hanging on his cross, by nails nailed through his hands and his feet, in extreme agony. There before him, below his feet, are Roman soldiers, and they're casting lots, gambling for his clothes. 
In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus doesn't express his thoughts or feelings. His words are limited. But we know how he feels. We know his thoughts. We know his emotions concerning his own crucifixion. Because it's recorded in the Old Testament in Psalm 22. Through David, Jesus is speaking in the first person about his crucifixion. Listen to what Jesus says, how he feels concerning what's taking place. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. And here's where it really gets deep. Here is where it really gets real. After Jesus testifies concerning the Father, yet Jesus is the one whom the Father created the entire universe through. But yet Jesus is given no honor. He's given no credit or no glory. In verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions, and they tear their prey open with their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. And here it is. Here is the true Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus preached is being preached right here in Psalm 22. In this next verse, in verse 16, long before Jesus was ever born and went to the cross. Verse 16, Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Though a sign hangs above his head that speaks the truth, that Jesus is the King of the Jews, but yet the devil gave him no honor. His people gave him no glory. They left him in shame, left him naked and despised. They considered his clothes more valuable than even his own life. He's the God of the universe. And here is Jesus, the creator of it all, pierced, hanging by his hands and feet, nailed to his cross, leaving this world exactly as he entered it. He didn't even have a burial plot. He didn't have money. He didn't own anything. He didn't have a pension or a retirement plan. He didn't have a 401k. He didn't have a financial holdings. It was a rich man who ended up donating his burial tomb for Jesus. 
Jesus said the Son of Man doesn't even have a pillow for his head. Even Daniel prophesied in Daniel 9.27, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. So if we go back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, back to Matthew chapter 5 and reread his words, we'll understand that truly what Jesus is saying. Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other cheek also. If anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus fulfilled his own words. He loved us while he was on the cross. He gave his life. He withheld nothing from us all the way to his very own clothes. The choice is choose love. Choose forgiveness. Don't choose retribution. Don't choose anger. Choose love as Jesus did. He's the King of Kings. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. He has the full authority of the law. But rather than putting us rightfully to the death, He put Himself to the death. He carried our sins to the grave. Rather than giving us the shame and the humiliation that we deserve, just as the law of Moses commands for the public humiliation and the public flogging, Jesus took on our shame and our humiliation publicly so that we can be wrapped and clothed in his righteousness, appearing blameless before his heavenly Father. Has somebody wronged you? Are you dealing with some serious things in your life? Are you in the midst of a court hearing against someone who has committed a crime against you or your family? Remember Jesus. Remember him. Remember what he did for you on the cross. And not to say that crime shouldn't be answered, because they should. But don't let any of those things, any of those crimes and things that happened against you, motivate your heart to hate, motivate you to anger because of what has happened to you. Otherwise, you'll be just as guilty as the one who committed the sin. Instead, choose love. Choose to forgive. Or perhaps you're on the other end of this. You're the person who has committed the sin, whatever that sin is. Whatever case it be, consider Jesus. Consider the thief on the cross that was next to him. Jesus forgives. He loves you. He holds no favorites. You are just as worthy as the one who has done nothing. If not even more worthier because Jesus did not come for the well but for the sick. Regardless of whatever the situation it is that you're in, whatever you're facing, consider the choice. Consider the choice that Jesus made. Consider Jesus and let that choice lead you. Let it bring healing and salvation to you. Will you pray with me right now? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and thank you for revealing the truth to us. I thank you for your son Jesus for dying on the cross for my sins. And I thank you for choosing forgiveness for the choice of love, for choosing humility. I ask that you lead me, that you guide me, that you teach me through your words and your Holy Spirit that I may live according to your son Jesus. As he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It isn't enough to be saved, Jesus. I want to live saved. 
I want to live a life of love and redemption in the lives around me. Please guide me, guide every thought, guide every word that I speak, guide every thought that I think, guide every action that I do, that it may reveal who you are to the lives around me. In your great name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. Now you can find more great teachings just like this one on our website at tribalchristians.com or on our Facebook page. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast to get updates on future words and teachings and to help us spread the gospel message. This concludes this podcast message. I am the Chief Sinner with the Tribe of Christians, and may God continue to bless you and always be with you.